Podcast episode 128. Your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. This is part two of the special three year anniversary where I revisit the first three guests I ever had on this show. Now, I've already done 127 with Jeff Julin, who was the partner of Mike Gone, who unfortunately passed away a year and a half ago. This is episode 128, revisiting episode two with Cindy Sovine Miller. Now, when I envisioned this, I did not expect death to become a running theme when I talk to my first three guests. It's amazing how the world will change. There's really a yin and a yang to it because I spoke to Jeff in the previous episode because his partner Mike had died. Now, when I revisited Cindy, she pivoted from healthcare advocacy and lobbying into medical marijuana advocacy, and now she's gone into full-on social use of recreational marijuana. So that's a pretty hard pivot. And especially going from something like pharmaceuticals and healthcare and health insurance into medical marijuana, your allegiances end up being quite different and very changed. And the reason she did that is because her father was diagnosed with lymphatic cancer and was in the midst of treatment as we did episode two, three years ago. I didn't know that at the time. I only found that out when I talked to her and she'll describe it in more detail in this week's episode. But holy Lord. He ended up dying a few months later. He went on to medical cannabis. She saw how that improved his quality of life, especially compared to the chemo, radiation, and pharmaceuticals that he was just zombified with. And when he got out of the hospital and started taking medical cannabis, his end of life, he ultimately ended up succumbing to pneumonia. It wasn't so much to the cancer, but to pneumonia. It was much improved. And so she knew that was her calling. Now, when I say there's a yin and a yang to this, These first two episodes, uh, the passing of a loved one, have featured prominently in it. Now, it bears mention that in the last three years, both of my grandparents have died. I had an uncle who was an invalid for like 30 years. He also passed away. But I've also had the birth of two daughters, which is remarkable. When I started this show, Kristen was pregnant, and we were expecting our first As I sit here recording this intro, I have two daughters, both of them asleep right now, or both of them trying to be asleep, which if you have children, you sort of understand what this is like. And I mean, it's every night you're like, just please go to sleep. But I think back on my life and yeah, Mike gone is no longer with us. I've had some family pass on, but I have two beautiful daughters and what an incredible testament to the way life changes. And it certainly did for Cindy. And in episode 128, we get into that in pretty great detail. And it bears mention that Cindy is just one of my absolute favorite people. I mean, she always has interesting things to say. She has opinions on everything, and I love to talk to her. I can talk to her about any issue for any length of time. And this episode is one I'm immensely proud to bring to you. So we're going to do that right now. Episode 128 is with Cindy Sovine Miller. She is a lobbyist. She's an advocate for medical and recreational marijuana. She is a former healthcare lobbyist, 
And she's got a fascinating story over the last three years. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I thank you so much for being a part of the three-year anniversary, for letting me into your homes, into your cars, into your ears, and into your lives. So, it is with great pride I bring you episode 128. Cindy Sovine Miller, her episode starts right now. Well, I was just over at the Capitol getting my ass handed to me. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm kidding. I was just giving you a little bit of... <laughs> That's great fodder, heart, though. Heart lightning. Moments. Um, I was over at the Capitol this morning, touching base with a few legislators who were kind enough to support a budget line item that I'm working on to start help to go in a harm reduction approach to folks that have substance use issues. Okay. So that was... The morning. That so, and that's at a budget line item. Yeah, so I'm working on a budget line item called the law enforcement diversion. Excuse me, the law enforcement diversion program. Okay. And that line item will direct um, offenders who are going finding themselves in jail for low level crimes related to addiction. So usually petty theft, and instead of putting them in prison, getting them into community services, the support that they need, housing, treatment, getting them back in and into a sustainable life. Okay. What's funny about that, hearing you say that, is if you're not familiar with the inner workings of government, mm -hmm. saying a budget line item, you know, like people people think if they know anything about how this process works at all, they think schoolhouse rock, <laughs> you know, yeah. right? How yeah, a bill yeah, becomes yeah. a law. But there's so much more to it than that. Yeah, it's I mean, the truth. What, what you're talking about is sort of a policy change. But embedded within a very large budget that has how many different things in it, right? Right. That's crazy. So, like, how do you navigate the waters of doing something like that? Does that just come from experience or, like, knowing how like knowing how the system works, knowing where the angles are? Navigating the waters is a really good way of putting it. So think of yourself on a ship, and that ship is your bill or your budget line item right. or whatever policy change that you are going through. And you're going to need to cross the ocean and dodge the icebergs and every other peril that comes along the way. And, and all the sea monsters. The sea monsters. <laughs> the coordinated attacks from Russia. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> not no, to get too see, political, right? Not to get too political, yeah. But that's no, what we do here. That's what we did uh, on episode two of this show, which we did about three years ago at yeah. this point. Yeah, that's right. Which is wild. So, I mean, that's why we're revisiting you. And I remember at the time, you told me, and it was breaking news to me while we were recording live, that you had changed your name to Cindy Miller, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, professionally, do you still go by Cindy Sovine Miller? I do because everybody still knows me as Sovine, so right. that's usually what they call me. But my official name is Cindy Miller now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. welcome back. Thanks, thanks for being back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, no, this is crazy because as I was thinking about doing my three-year anniversary, I'm like, okay, let's go back and look at the first three guests. So talking to you, I know that I mean we hang out, we're friends. Right. Like and it, when you're starting a show, you gotta you gotta go with people like, Hey, I have a show, I don't have anything to show you, but will you just sit down and talk with me? And generally your friends are more agreeable to that kind of thing. So that was awfully <laughs> nice of you being episode two. I appreciate it. Yeah, and look at you now. You're kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Um so this is episode one twenty seven, I think. Just goes to show you, like, I'm <laughs> a little bit behind the curtain. I'm doing this about two weeks in advance of this going up, and I cannot remember off the top of my head what number it'll be. But 127 sounds good. That sounds nice. Yeah. I, I, I like the way that sounds, too. 
But over the course of three years, I've talked to a lot of different people. And I thought, I talk about beginnings a lot. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about origin story. We talked about how you got into government, you know, sort of uh, how you started at Ledge Council Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing advocacy work that you were doing. And then that moved you into lobbying. And at the time, you were pivoting away from lobbying, right? Yes, yes. So take us back a little bit. Three years ago, if you can remember, what were you doing? Like, what was your primary thrust? And, you know, what did you have going on? Well, three years ago, uh, it's a very interesting intersection in life, so happy to do this. Three years ago, I was on the tail end of a very, very successful career in traditional health care. I worked with the the hospital industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the insurance industry. Oh, yeah, the underwriters, right? The underwriters, the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. I was doing national work for them and field work for them. And it all kind of came to a head when my dad had his journey with lymphatic cancer and he when did that happen? it was three years ago like right about the time like or this time of year when we when we met three years ago right at the u club right he had just <clears throat> he had just begun chemo and radiation oh, for okay. lymphatic cancer and well mm-hmm. he he was probably six months into treatment actually at the time and he ended up doing two years of you know those three rounds of chemo and radiation and three surgeries later and found himself um in the hospital a vegetable on morphine and methadone just uh, just waiting to die and we, it was a sad time we did not talk about that no we did not that that was that was the evolution of the last three years yeah okay so sitting in that month with my mom, right, and she spent most of the time taking care of him because the nurses would mess up the medication or they weren't there or they wouldn't give it. And so she was just literally living there with him. Mm. She decided to take him home and begin to put him on medical marijuana. Wow. And did, yeah. was there resistance to taking him out? Like did did the doctors and whoever be like, no, you can't take him out of here? Everybody, in, including me. Really? You know, wow. I was including me. I was, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to make this worse. You know, you're, you're not you're not doing it right. But during that month, I was also forced to see what that system looks like for people yeah. that are sick and dying and how much money is made. For you know, from people just sitting in a hospital waiting to die. Yeah, right. Like, literally, I mean, it's it's sad to talk about, but it was an eye opening experience for me, having represented those industries and protected that status quo for many, many years. Yeah, and it. I mean, I guess you could just literally say it sent me into a tailspin where I just knew I had already wanted to be out, right. and now I knew I needed to be out. Um, and then kind of on the journey for what to do, and then and he ended up dying in February of twenty uh, twenty thirteen now. Uh, 2015, no. Yeah, 2015. 2015, sorry. Okay, so yeah, about a year after our conversation. Yeah, but but after my mom pulled him out and put him on medical marijuana, I mean, he lived eight months and he had a quality of life that he didn't have. He was able to walk and talk. He was able to, you know, enjoy his family. He was able to say his goodbyes and be functional. He wasn't just sitting there drooling on himself in a hospital bed. Yeah, it was more on his terms. It was on his terms. And he was at home and he was comfortable. He was off of pharmaceuticals. He was functional. Yeah, with with all the horrific side effects, right, that come with that. Oh, yeah. Like literally just being a zombie. That's pretty much what it comes down to. And the, the, the... the radi- or the chemo and radiation did so much damage to his lungs when he was getting the treatment that what he ultimately died of was um, pneumonia. He got you know fluid in his lungs. Sure, but, yeah. 
but that that is often the case, I think, with with people with cancer. They don't die necessarily from the disease, but from things surrounding it. But to to bring it back to sort of a happier note, what it did was pushed me into a position where I had to look at what I was doing with my skills and experience and talent and and figure out where to go. And then in that same year, March of 2015, or excuse me, um, yeah, March of 2015, there was a whole sequence of events that set me into the medical marijuana community. And I've been working in marijuana ever since. Wow. I remember that too, actually, because you and I had lunch not long after that. Yeah. When I left my corporate gig. Mm -hmm. And I remember you said, you know, I've pivoted pretty hard into marijuana. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, okay, that that is quite the departure just because I knew your healthcare background. And at the time, I imagine it was probably pretty raw because you didn't go into details then that you did now. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I fully understand why now. Yeah. Because I, you know, that's, I left my corporate gig in April of that year. So we probably met May or June, right? Yeah. So good Lord. Okay. So how has it been? How, like, how, how has the transition gone for you? Um, it, it's been great. I mean, it's interesting, you know, marijuana is one of the most controversial subjects that you have out there. Um, and I've now found myself right in the middle of the war on drugs, but I'm right where I need to be. How do you feel about that? You know, I love it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love it. It, it lights me up to know that I'm using my skills and experience for the right reasons. Now That's I'm good. helping people without a voice, get what they need to make sure that their interests are protected, that they, you know, have access to the medicine that they need. And I get to spend a lot of time calling out craziness and <laughs> nonsense every day down about like, well, what's, what's actually credible information and what's just reefer madness. So. Yeah. <laughs> reefer madness. Right. Yeah. Well, what was it? That was a film in like 1938. Or oh something. yeah. That was all part of the prohibition era. Right. So fucking William Randolph Hearst. Right. Right. Good God. Um, <laughs> now that guy's a tyrant, but, uh, you never know how, how life is, is going to steer you. And it sounds like you've taken that and almost been Zen about it and, you know, taken it and channeled that in, in a way that, I see you energized in a way that I haven't seen you probably in a very long time. Yeah. I remember when we were early on, when we were in our 20s, none of us had kids. I mean, you you had Jonathan, but the the vast majority of us, you know, were sort of young and irresponsible. Right. Everyone was burning the candle at both ends. You know, you were, you had your own practice, which Mm -hmm. was mind blowing to me in my 20s. And the fact that you were able to go out on your own, but, you know, you're almost grinding away and you're going, why am I doing this? And so having a purpose has just got to be incredibly energizing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I struggled with it. There was about a year where I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to lobby anymore because I just wasn't lobbying for the right things. Right. Um, I had an opportunity to go into a major hospital system and be their marketing director. And oh, I was geez. like, no. <laughs> I hadn't, you know, I mean, things yeah. like that would pop up. But sure. anytime I would actually try that on, it really was not something that I was interested in. And then I ended up coming back to the, the legislature last session in, in 2016, just because I felt like I needed to be there. And I started out okay. with nothing because I let all of my clients go. Yeah, I did not want to work who, with who I was working before. So I 
you know, in the, in the course of, I guess, what you could call a midlife crisis, I just let everything go and decided to start over and see what I attracted. Wow. So, <laughs> so, and in, in the end of the last session, I had this woman show up with her son, Jack Split, after he had been kicked out of school, um, uh, for taking his cannabis medicine. It was uh-huh. the only thing that was keeping his cerebral palsy and severe dystonia in check. And she showed up with this bill requiring school districts to violate federal law and allow cannabis as medicine on their property. And I said, okay, let's go. Wow. So we, we ran that bill. It was somewhat penance, penance for me for, you know, all the shit I gave my mom when she first put my dad on medical marijuana. But we ended up getting 91 out of 100 legislators to agree that schools should be giving these kids right to, and access to their medicine. That's crazy bipartisanship. It came out of the Republican-controlled Senate, 35 to 0. Wow. Yes. Senator Chris Holbert is the bomb. He was a great sponsor. <laughs> that is amazing. That's a success story you almost never hear. No, I, I really felt like it, it literally raised the vibration in that building. And, and yeah. to some extent, it still is. It, we're still able to connect with it when we need to. So. Jeez. That's amazing. Okay, so a question I have for you, given this pivot. Are your one-time friends, have you made some enemies now? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Is that weird? Like, well, is, is that tough for you? I, you know, it's like, you would say friends and enemies if it's so black and white, but are they really your friends when they only want you, when you, they need something mm. from you to begin with? And are they really your enemies when they just disagree with what you're saying? You know, mm. we, we choose those labels, but I've got a lot of people that disagree with me now. Okay. I will say that. Are they pissed at you for it? Like, are you viewed almost like as a traitor in any way? Um, I think most people just don't know what the hell to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They just kind of try to get out of the way whenever they can. Right. But for the most part, I would say that, you know, what I hope to do is inspire people to see that if they follow their heart and they help out on causes and do what they think is right, that it will actually help them pivot their careers in a meaningful way as well. Okay. The the other thing about this that, that you've done is uh, I hooked you up with Kayvon Collett Perry. Yeah. <laughs> who, yes. uh, I think I, he was episode 91 and that was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Kayvon's a great guy. And you know, you told me you were working in marijuana advocacy. I'm like, okay, you got to talk to Kayvon yeah. because Kayvon, like Kayvon is turned into such an activist. I mean, he's a current candidate for mayor, yes. um, which is pretty crazy. And when I saw on Facebook, I actually didn't hear this from you, but I saw it on Facebook first that you were lobbying on behalf of a homeless bill of rights too. Yeah, that's uh, correct. Um, which uh, I thought, oh my God. So they connected more ways than I thought they would. Like just beyond cannabis, there's there's much more there. Yeah. Um, how's that connection been for you? Well, it's been great. I mean, cannabis is one part of it. Legalization and access is a huge piece, but so is the social justice reform that's so necessary, that is so necessary to go along with it. Mm. And what was great about you connecting with me with Kayvon is not only does, you know, he believe that you can do what you love and, and make a living at it, but that you also give back to your community in the right way and, and do what you need to to help be a voice for those. And so he, um, filmed a video of what was happening to folks at night when they were having their blankets taken off of them and their gear stripped off and freezing temperatures. Right. That video went far and wide. Very viral. Very viral. I saw that. I ended up having a number of conversations with the folks that intervened and I decided that in, in the spirit of really looking at wanting to continue to do pro bono work for vulnerable populations and, and looking at what, you know, is really happening. Our, our most vulnerable are our homeless and making sure that we protect their rights is making sure we protect all of our rights. Yeah, no, 100%. And what's funny to me is 
you know, without getting into personal politics here too much, um, I know you were you were aligned a little bit more on on the side of the, the right side of the political spectrum. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And so, given what you're talking about, I don't think that's traditionally aligned with the Republican side. Is that fair to say too? What you mean on personal rights and freedom? <laughs> that uh, well, I mean you're you're couching it uh, in a, in a very interesting way that I think the status quo tends to lean right, right? Right. And so, I mean, when you're talking about a homeless bill of rights, I wouldn't associate that necessarily with, with a platform on the conservative side. Yeah, no, I don't think it was in their starting pitches <laughs> this year. No, probably not. But, I mean, the the way that you just explained it, it makes perfect sense. You know, it, it seems like it should be. Where do you think that disconnect come from, comes from? Special interests. I mean, let's get right down to why we have some of these problems that we have. In in the downtown Denver partnership, there are a lot of people that don't like having homeless people around, right? And there's Just a lot period. of and there's a lot of money that's involved, and there's a lot of lobbyists that are involved. And the easy solution is to just make them go away. We just don't want to have to see them, and we don't care what that looks like. But when you're in reality. That doesn't work either. And affordable housing has become such a huge issue that we're not just pushing out low-income people. It's the middle class that can't find places to live now. And so we have to look at, well, how are we going to treat these people that we tell and expect to perform in a certain way in society that even, you know, the majority can no longer continue to sustain? And how are we going to do that? I mean, every medical marijuana patient that I know is one hospitalization away from being homeless. So when you think about it in that context, it makes it a little bit different when you think about protecting people's rights and ensuring that they're not just swept away with the, let's just make it go away, you know? Right. Let's just make it go away. It's interesting to me because one of the things that, that we're both very passionate about is it's easy to demonize lobbyists. It's, yeah. it's always very easy to demonize lobbyists. What's hard, though, is you know everyone deserves a voice at the Capitol. Uh, so, you know, some people have access to resources that allow their voices to be heard maybe above others. You know, they're first among equals. Mm-hmm. How do you handle uh, a problem like that that seems sort of systemic and one that I would argue is – Something that a lot of common people, normal people, people who don't work in government affairs, uh, are really fed up with. Yeah. You know, so like, what's the answer to that? I, I don't know. I'm really fed up with it too. That's why I'm back down there fighting for right. it. You know, it's, it's gotta happen. We, we need to have a system that works for the people. We need to have a system that's fair and sustainable. And the only way we're going to have that is if you have people that continue to call out the, you know, the parts that aren't working and bringing those to light and forcing people to swallow them, think about what they need to do and find a better way to move forward. So given that you are that you are working in something that you're very passionate about, is it fair to say that you're more passionate about this than you were about things that you were lobbying for early in your career? I would say that the stakes are higher because I care about them more. You know, okay. in some ways, we're talking about life and death on some of these things as opposed to whether or not you know, somebody got a business tax credit or, you know, something where, yeah, for me, when you have that passion, you have, you have more at stake. I try really hard not to marry my bills and recognize what I have control over (laughs) and what I don't. But yeah, certainly we're talking about real people now. So the stakes are higher for me. Okay. One of the themes of this show is you've got a lot of people who start out you know, doing something that, that makes them money, you mm-hmm. know, because we all got bills to pay. We all mm-hmm. got rent we got to make. But a lot of people are working in something that they're truly passionate about as a side hustle, you know, or as something that they do almost as a hobby or they do around the margins. Mm-hmm. 
it seems like the theme is that I hear from everyone is you don't have to wait for something catastrophic to happen for you to, to make the leap into something that you truly care about. And I mean, that's what you just articulated to me with regard to cave What would you say to someone who is thinking about making a transition, someone who is looking to change their career, change their focus, whatever it is, you know, you shouldn't have to wait for someone in your family to get diagnosed with lymphatic cancer, right? Correct. Um, so, you know, what would you tell people who are thinking about making a change and what advice can you give them? I would say you've got to get your butt moving. You know, there's no right. point in, in waiting at the end. You have to recognize that making a change means that there's an ending. There's mm-hmm. a period in between and there's a new beginning and you won't necessarily know what that looks like. But you have to take the leap of faith and take every step moving forward toward what is calling you. And anybody that stops long enough to think about what they are interested in, what does move them. I mean, when I was in that space, that pause, it was clear to me that I had so much sympathy for these medical marijuana patients that I just kept following that, showing up to support groups, finding out more, getting connected, learning people. And and that's turning into a great career. So it's really about finding what you're passionate about and not assuming that you can't do things in you know, a media, in a meaningful way. You don't have to quit your job and give away all of your clients. Right. I did that as more of a cleansing process for my soul. <laughs> let's say that. But sure. what, what you can do is start to look at what do you enjoy? What does bring you joy? And, and how can you incorporate more of that into your life while still figuring out how to pay the bills? But right. that will come. It really will if you follow that. You know, I'm reminded of two quotes, one from this show, one from not. One of the quotes is from Will Matthews, who was one of my favorite guests, and he said, leap and the net will appear. Absolutely. <laughs> and that is such a terrifying prospect. Absolutely. Until though. you've actually made that leap, though, right? Yeah. And once you do, you go, oh, yeah. No, like you, you got to bet on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just gets easier to keep leaping. It really does. You think you do it once, you don't. But <laughs> <laughs> you start to get, re- you start to trust that that net's going to be there, even though you can't see it and you don't know what it looks like. And when you do, man, life opens up. Yeah. Li- life is beautiful in that way. And yeah. the other quote that I think about a lot is from Warren Miller, who does the ski videos. Uh-huh. And he said, do it this year, because if you don't, you'll be one year older when you do. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're all on the ceaseless march of time. And I mean, with the time we got, we got to make the most of it. And I think about my corporate job and I go, why did I wait so long to, to make that leap? Yeah. Um, but you know what? Sometimes the universe aligns and the timing ends up being right. And I would argue no matter when you ultimately do it, the timing will be right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like people say there's, you know, and we're thinking about having kids, but we've got this and we've got this. And it's like, no, you just you do it now. You'll figure it all out later. Live your life. Do what it's calling you to do. You will hear it if you listen. Yeah. Yeah. Is there something that if you could time travel and talk to yourself three years ago, is there something that you've learned, some insight you've gained, some advice that you would give yourself to the person that you were when we interviewed uh, on episode two? Yeah, I think I would say that all of the time you spend worrying about what other people think is all wasted energy. Nice. You might as well give yourself a whole lot more time to just move forward and do what you're going to do. That's awesome, Cindy. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Yeah. And um, okay, so we always do plugs. So what can uh, what would you like to point people to? 
What uh, what should people know about you? Where can they find you? How can they get in touch with you? Well, my name is Cindy Sovine Miller. I am a political consultant. I love working in marijuana. And you can find me at SovineMiller.com, Cindy at SovineMiller.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. That is so great. Wait, I do have to put out a huge shout out for a bill that I'm working on since you've brought Kayvon up so much. Okay, perfect. I, so the reason why Kayvon and I actually intersected was around the issue of social use and bringing marijuana into the mainstream, the idea of allowing people to have a place to consume, to be able to be together. I went from lobbying for healthcare to lobbying to kids having access to medical marijuana to full-on lobbying for recreational social use in the state of Colorado in the period of one year. And, <laughs> you know, I just have to say that once you open up your eyes to what you're really here to do, y- you let the fear of what people are going to think th- fall by the wayside because, you know, you're doing what is right, even when it's maybe not popular. Wow. That is awesome. You are one of my favorite people. (laughs) Well, I love you too, John. (laughs) And I'm so happy you were episode two and now part of episode 127. We've been friends much longer than three years and let's, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what you're doing next. So, uh, we'll stay in touch. Maybe we'll do this again. That sounds great. Thanks for the time. Awesome. Thanks, Cindy. And that wraps up episode 128 of the John of All Trades podcast. It is part two out of three of our three-year anniversary. Cindy was episode two. She's also episode 128. Thank you to Cindy Silvine Miller for taking the time and revisiting where we are three years from when we originally talked on this show. I adore you, Cindy. I wish you continued success. And I cannot say thank you enough for being a part of it. The John of All Trades podcast is on iTunes and Stitcher great ways to download us. They come directly to your listening device, so hit that little subscribe button, and before you do, give us a rating, give us a review. That helps the algorithm that John of All Trades gets more visible in the iTunes universe. I don't know how it works. I don't really care, but uh, you know, if you do it, that would be a great favor. On social media, John of All Trades is at J-O-A-T-Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, number 4, D-E-G-R-E-S. If you're doing an online campaign, if you're building a website, if you're trying to reach out to communities that you don't know how to access them, 4Degrees will help you do that and do it in a very effective and cost-efficient manner. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Deft is on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. And we've got one more. So I hope you've listened to these two. I hope you've enjoyed them. Jason Calloway, Bird, former owner of Rooster and Moon, is my guest on the third edition. Stay tuned for that. And until I see you, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.